Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, everybody. I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh, my God. How could he do that? What? Charles Darwin. All right, so as we continue to work our way through the playoffs, only eight teams are left. And accordingly today, we are going to be doing eight big picture questions, basically one for each of those teams. Not exactly, but we're getting into high stakes basketball here. Some teams are obviously having some of their biggest moments of the season, and some of them have to answer some of these big time questions. So the first one, Logan, is a very simple one. Who is the best player in the world right now? Uh, to me, it's still LeBron James. Uh, and after Giannis, going, after Giannis went down and uh, we've seen the Bucks falter to the heat, uh, I don't think it's really been a contest. Uh, in seven games, uh, we've seen uh, LeBron in the playoffs, 26 points per game, 10 assists, 10 rebounds on 58% shooting, and 40% from deep. The one, the one criticism I would have of LeBron so far in the playoffs is uh, I want him to take over games more late. But when Anthony Davis is such a dominant player in the paint scorer in the post, uh, sometimes it's better for LeBron to take a step back. Uh, another concern, I mean, game one, he was 0 for 3 in the fourth quarter when they were trying to mount a comeback, and uh, his plus minus was negative 9. Um, but last game, we saw in the fourth quarter, he was 3 of 4, 2 steals, 2 blocks, 2 assists, and 8 points, shut the door completely on the Rockets. Um, I do have a little bit of a case for maybe Kawhi Leonard if, mm-hmm. if they're feeling froggy, Carson, but mm, sure. uh, for me, it's definitely still LeBron. Yeah, to me, the debate is 100% LeBron versus Kawhi. And, of course, that's in the absence of KD. I think that KD is the third guy you throw in that conversation if he's healthy and resembles himself next season. But the real difference is Kawhi has more of that takeover gear as a scorer. He's probably, actually, definitely more of an imposing one-on-one defender when he wants to be. But I will still take LeBron. And the reason is he gives me so much of that scoring. And yes, it's not as pretty as a Kawhi post-fader, a Kawhi mid-range jumper, which he can get to every single time. But I think that we saw late in game two, LeBron was just bulldozing the Rockets. And yes, they're an exception because they don't have a rim protector of any sort, but he was still having to attack some really good one-on-one defenders and he was just dominating them. And I think that we've seen that through him all season. He's so much stronger. He can do it out of the post. He has the step back three and then he just dictates the pace of every game. He's a top three passer in basketball. And I think that we've seen when he really wants to exert himself, 
he's still capable of making some incredible defensive and athletic plays. You know, just thinking about game two, when he had that, that swat on Westbrook, when it looked like Russ had a clear lane to the bucket and LeBron came soaring from behind him like an eagle and sent it to the heavens, that's just a kind of special player that as great as he was this season, it almost feels like is still kicking into another gear. Now, not as much as he has in seasons prior where he's coasted a bit more and then he's just become this otherworldly guy who's in a complete different tier in the playoffs because he really gave a lot of effort throughout this entire season. But I've been a LeBron is the best player in the world guy all season. I've remained a LeBron is the best player in the world guy last season, even, even as he dealt with injuries and the Lakers struggled a bit. But I do think the competition is Kawhi just because – you know, the guy is averaging 29, 10, and 5. It is very rare that he has an off night. And as incredible as LeBron is as a scorer, Kawhi just has another gear to go to there. He, he has things that you cannot stop. And it's not like LeBron where he has to get downhill and get to the bucket, even though that's incredibly difficult to sp- stop. He just needs to get 18 feet from the bucket. And, and he can just hit it in your face every single time, which is pretty incredible. So offensively, you're taking Kawhi over LeBron? No, not offensively as a scorer, but I think it's close there. And the fact that LeBron can do, you know, so much of the same stuff, just as far as being unstoppable. And then is also, again, a top three passer in basketball. I just think he controls the game even more, but Kawhi is really ridiculous. And, you know, he deserves tremendous credit for even being in that conversation. Is there anybody else you considered um, that is out of the bubble, out of the playoffs? No, I mean, like I said, I would actually probably take, if we have a fully healthy KD, him over Kawhi. I think that what we saw him doing just in the last playoffs, it's so effortless for him, so easy for him to get 30 every night when he needs to. And he doesn't have the one-on-one defensive ability of Kawhi, but I still think as incredible as Kawhi is as a bucket getter, KD takes that to another level. And then you mentioned Giannis. He's never been in that conversation for me if I'm trying to win a title. Too hard to build a team around him. If you look at over quarantine, I did a – Top 30 guys I would take to win a title. Giannis was fifth on that list. So obviously my skepticism of him predates uh, the Buck struggles in this series. And then, no, I don't think anyone else really deserves to be in that conversation. Do you have anyone in mind? Some people maybe would take just the overwhelming offensive talent of someone like James Harden. It's tough to make that case for me. Do you have anyone else? Uh, I'd probably go with Luka. If there's anybody that deserves a mention, I'd say mm-hmm. Luka Doncic probably. Um, I mean, he's such a tremendous score I just wish I don't know I really wanted to see Luca in the second round I wanted the upset over the Clips, mm-hmm. but uh that's probably what's holding them back um I don't want to see any of the team struggles that we see out of Luca. I don't want it to reflect back on him because no. I think it's going to be tough for the Mavs to get back in contention as we uh, move forward but that's another topic yeah I mean I think that it's for me there's still definitely a tier of separation between LeBron and Kawhi and Luca, but that's just a tier of separation between LeBron and Kawhi and everyone else. If you're talking about guys to win a title this year, I very well may take Luka Doncic over Giannis Antetokounmpo. Because as a perimeter creator, he just does so much more for me so reliably, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. He is the guy who will take the big shots down late. He's the guy that will consistently create good looks for his teammates. And he, you know, if you're comparing him to a guy like a great number two, Anthony Davis, who do I want to carry my team? I want Luka. So, Again, I don't really think that anyone besides LeBron and Kawhi, as far as active players, deserve to be in this conversation. And I've really never wavered from LeBron. I still definitely think it's him. But, um, you know, good to give some shout-outs, especially to a guy who's in that conversation at 21 years old. So, 
Let's move on to the second big question. And this one relates directly to the Celtics, who are now up 3-2 on the Toronto Raptors. They're the three seed, but the one seed Milwaukee's on the verge of being knocked out. They're down 3-1, about to tip off against the Miami Heat. So the question is, Logan, are the Celtics the best team in the East? Yes, and uh, this feels like a, a time to bite a bullet. Um, I feel we have been led astray, Carson. The the magic that the Raptors once had in the regular season obviously did not translate over into the bubble, and the Raptors are an OG Ananobi game winner from being at the crib right now. Yeah. Um, I think before this last game, I may have tried to come on here at 2-2 and said the Celtics were inferior, but the Celtics put up points faster than any team I've seen. They play such fast-paced offense, and they just have so many good off-the-ball scores. They're clearly, in my opinion, the best offense in the East. Um, this one series against the Raptors, I'm a little upset with uh, the free throw totals. Um, mm. Boston has shot 121. The Raptors have shot 96. Uh, but, I mean, looking at that, too, the Raptors have also been pretty poor from the free throw line. <laughs> yeah, the Celtics are the best team in the East, and it's really hard to say because of how much faith I had in the Raptors and how bad I wanted to see them in the finals. I think the Celtics are the best team in the East too, but I still think it's very possible that they don't beat the Raptors. And the reason for that is that the Raptors are to me the most mentally and physically tough team left. They are incredibly experienced. They're an incredibly cohesive unit, but I, the Celtics just have demonstrably more talent than this Raptors team. And I think that that is really shown on the offensive end. Whereas the Raptors have been laboring to score throughout this entire series. It's, so much easier for the Celtics just because they have Kemba, they have Tatum, they have Jalen. Three guys who can all give you 20-plus. Meanwhile, the Raptors have no one giving you 20-plus in the playoffs. That's obviously a huge difference. And then when you consider the fact the Celtics also have the number one defense in the bubble, that they can completely elevate to that level, that they're capable of getting down and getting dirty as well when you have a guy like Marcus Smart who will do whatever it takes to win. This is, at the end of the day, kind of a defensive-minded team. It's tough to say, but they certainly have that culture. They have a brilliant defensive coach. So another factor for why I could still see the Raptors coming back and winning this is just because Nick Nurse is the best coach in basketball and you know he will really do whatever it takes to win. He is willing to make all sorts of radical adjustments. And also, it's harder for me to count on Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, and Jalen Brown, as talented as they are, three guys who have never really had high-level playoff success in the face of the, the defending champs, even if they're without their best player. Now, do I feel great about Pascal Siakam in late-game situations? No. Is it weird having Fred Van Vliet as your go-to guy late? Yes. And so I do have my concerns with the Raptors. But at the end of this, even though the Celtics are more talented, even though they've clearly outplayed the Raptors through five games, I wouldn't be shocked if the Raptors, if the Raptors snuck out of here. But the Celtics are a truly phenomenal team. Do you think that they have a shot at winning this whole thing? Yeah, I do think they have a shot at winning this whole thing. Um, Miami is clearly going to come out of the other side uh, of the conference. We're going to see, I hope we're going to see, I, I mean, I hope we're going to see Toronto, Miami, but if we do see Boston, Miami, I think Boston matches up pretty well with Miami um, yeah. because, <laughs> because it's not Giannis. That's why they match up well. Um yeah. I mean, and when you have three scores like like you said, Jalen Kemba and Jason Tatum, any game can go your way because it, a drop of a hat got buckets. Um, mm -hmm. The Celtics, you preach on their defense. I think offensively, the Celtics might be the best team in the league. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they're not far from it. 
And the greatest value in that is just having three guys who can get you 20 every night. No one else in basketball has that, save maybe the, maybe the Clippers with Kawhi, PG, and Lou Will. But the Celtics certainly seem to most consistently have that dynamic of the three of them delivering. And then also just playing that really high-level defense. So it's incredible to me that they've gotten to this spot. It's still hard for me to take anyone over the LA teams. But, you know, I think that maybe I'm just living a little bit too much on the I, I won't believe it till I've seen it thing there because the Celtics are playing unbelievable basketball right now. And when Jason Tatum plays like he does, he's – you know, truly one of the best scorers and best two-way players in basketball. And then you also have Kemba, who is just ridiculous in these late-game situations. It's so easy for him to create space for himself and just get buckets. Uh, So they've really been unbelievable. Let's move on to a team out West that is not really in the title conversation as much, not the best team in their conference, but they've certainly been turning some heads lately. And after barely eking out a first-round win over the Thunder – They have looked pretty darn good through two games against the Lakers. Of course, I'm talking about the Houston Rockets. The the debate about the Rockets brand of basketball, Maury Ball, D'Antoni Ball, Harden Ball, Small Ball, whatever you want to call it, that's been ongoing for years, ever since they first emerged as contenders. But now we're seeing it sort of reshaped to its most extreme form, and we're seeing it in the playoffs. Obviously, They were playing like this for much of the regular season after they made the Covington trade, but it's different in the playoffs because playoff basketball is so different. So what we got to ask is, is this formula going to work on the biggest stage? Is it the kind of thing that it can help them contend for titles? And is it something that we're going to see other teams follow and try to replicate? Um, I think that it won't work for the Rockets now uh, simply because of the way Russell Westbrook plays basketball and the Mm -hmm. fact that you're matched up against LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, Will other teams try to replicate it? And I think they will, because statistically, you look at the seven-game series between Oklahoma City and Houston. Houston shot 100 more three-pointers than Oklahoma City. I mean, that is a series-deciding factor. When a team like the Rockets can shoot that many threes more than another team, it gives you such a competitive edge. And last game, uh, a, a different sample size against the Lakers and the Rockets, Uh, the Lakers shot significantly less three-pointers than the Rockets shot significantly more. What I'm saying is when the Rockets get hot, they can beat any team. Mm -hmm. It's just if they can get hot at the right times. And I think teams are going to try to replicate it. I think the teams are going to try to build these fully three-point shooting lineups and give it a shot because it gives you the most points any given play. Yeah, I mean, the math is so clearly advantageous here as far as just taking a high-volume of threes. But what I think is really interesting is that this is not necessarily the most replicable format in that, you know, the Rockets have a couple of really exceptional defensive quote unquote, big men and Robert Covington and PJ Tucker. Rocco's averaging 2.4 steals and 1.4 blocks a game. They are two of the strongest wings, short, big men, whatever you want to call them in basketball. PJ Tucker can hang with anyone down there. And the fact that, you know, he has Anthony Davis consistently shooting turnarounds yeah, AD's going to make some of those. And AD had a big game based largely off of those. But if you can hang with a 6'11 unicorn type talent, throwing a 6'5 guy out there to guard him, who can also hit 50% of his corner threes, I don't know why that's not something that other teams would try to replicate. I do think that what's incredible about this is the Rockets are dead last in offensive rating out of teams remaining in the playoffs. They're second in defensive rating. It's been unbelievable effort, scrappiness from them. Roko and PJ Tucker are dogs. They take the ball from you. They fight for the ball. They 
hold their own down low as well as anyone. They've been averaging defensive rebounding, which I think is incredible considering their lack of size. I attribute that to effort and to PJ Tucker just being a an unstoppable bowling ball who is going to find that basketball and it's going to end up in his hands. They lead the playoff in steals, which makes sense. Again, quick hands, consistent effort. And that is all made possible by those two guys. So what I think is interesting is, yes, this this heliocentric style of having one star player who operates primarily out of isolation, putting a bunch of shooters around them, that's going to happen. That's already starting to happen. The Mavs are already doing something like that with Luka Doncic. It's a little bit different, but it's the same idea. They play a lot of five-shooter lineups. And even though actually the Rockets' primary lineup isn't a five-shooter one because of Russell Westbrook, that's going to happen again. What makes this Rockets team so interesting to me is that they're not very good offensively and they're great defensively. I think that if you replace this formula and, you know, it's tough because if you substitute someone else for, for Rocco, you're losing the defense. You could probably get better shooting. He's been unbelievable in the playoffs, shooting 51% from three, but was at like 31 and a half in the regular season with the Rockets? I don't know. If Maybe if you, if you get a better pure shooter in there, you obviously get more offensive production, but then you also lose something on the defensive end. And I think that that's why we saw when they made the shift to go get Rocco, they had had, I think, the number two offense in basketball before that, and then even throughout the regular season it had slipped. So it's interesting, um, but I have to say that if you can find a talent like James Harden, if you can find someone who masters the step back, because I do think that that is – in some ways, pivotal to this offense, having one guy who can create space for himself at any time and just having that kind of an automatic scoring talent, that's pretty pretty freaking important to this system. Yeah, it's something that other teams are going to follow. But again, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to see it recreated like this because this is such a weird iteration. And in many ways, it's the first iteration. This is you know, this is a rough draft of what the future of basketball is probably going to look like. And what I think is so interesting is, you know, Draymond Green's talking about how all big men should be rooting for the Lakers to win this series. That's so strange to me because are we that results-based to where one series determines whether or not something works? Because that just doesn't make sense. We have so much more data. We have so much more logic driving these things. I still think it's a flawed system, but if you can do it right, I don't know. I'm fascinated to see. I went on for a while there, Logan. Do you have anything else to say about this entire Rockets experiment? Yeah, Draymond needs to go work on his jump shot instead of complaining. <laughs> Probably true. What's interesting, I'll love though, the, is, I'll love the Draymond, but yeah. and, and don't get me wrong. He could be a – because I was going to say, uh, you mentioned P.J. Tucker, and Tucker is such a hard NBA – just like on a pure level, such a hard NBA player to replicate. He's such a mm-hmm. unique NBA player at his size and mm-hmm. what he's able to do on the court with his shooting ability. Draymond could do that. We just yeah. – come on, Draymond. You already play great defense. Yeah. And, and, of course, Draymond is in many ways part of the birth of this idea because it was the Warriors. It was the death lineup. It was Draymond at the five, and now, obviously, he's not shooting the ball like P.J. Tucker, but – that started it, and it was something that they would do in stretches, and now it's, an, in teams, in, it's a team's entire mentality. And, of course, it's totally different. It's iso ball with the Rockets. They're taking 53s a game in the playoffs, which is something that we've never seen before. But it's those same principles just exaggerated and changed in some ways. Let's move back to the East and talk about the Toronto Raptors because I think that they have some big questions to answer here as well. What we have to look out for here is down 3-2, 
As I mentioned earlier, they've been really struggling offensively, averaging 97.2 points per game in this series against the Celtics. Do they have enough offensively to get out of this series and then truly contend for a title? No, I don't think they do. And it's just from what I've seen uh, in this series. Uh, the leading scorer on this team, if we look at statistically, uh, Spicy P in the regular season has dropped from 23 points to 18 points per game. Lowry's dropped in production by three points a night. Uh, Norman Powell's had a reduced role and reduced production. This this team is just not produced offensively, and I don't know why. Um, mm. Now, future finals MVP Freddie Buckets is still doing his thing. So I, we I've got a little bit of confidence in the Raptors, mm. but – uh, like I said earlier, we, we've been led astray. I, I think the limiting factor on this team is Pascal Siakam. Um, he's a liability at points on defense, as I've said on record before. And it, it fundamentally, guys like Giannis, guys like Pascal, if you're not a dominant shooter, it, you're not going to be as effective in the playoffs. And until Pascal Siakam gets a reliable jump shot, there is a serious cap on the Raptors' offense. I do agree with the Siakam point. But – I think that this team does have enough. And this was close. The most likely outcome at this point, down 3-2, is probably that they don't beat the Celtics. And, you know, there were signs that this team was not some elite offense during the regular season. In fact, they just weren't an elite offense. They were 13th in offensive rating. Now that has stooped down to another level here against the Celtics, who have been a smothering defense as well. You mentioned the drop-off in offensive production from Siakam down to 18 a game on 41% shooting, 21% from three, inexcusable. Lowry at 16 a game on 40% from the field, 29% from three. Also just not going to cut it. Freddie is still doing his thing at over 19 a game, but of course it's really hard to win a title if you don't have a 20-point-per-game score. And I think we'd have to go back to the 04 Pistons. In fact, I know we'd have to go back to the 04 Pistons to find, some, to find a team that has truly contended and won the title with that model. But one thing that I do think we need to be aware of when we're reacting to a small sample size like this five-game series is that a few of the Raptors' losses you can attribute literally directly to three-point shooting. And of course, that's just the nature of basketball right now. There is no more important single statistic than three-point percentage and three-pointers made because that is everything. That's what swings every game. And for the Raptors, who have normally been an elite three-point shooting team, shooting 31% from three in this series, having really only one good three-point shooting game in game four, that'll kill you. But I think that that's the kind of thing that they can recover from. And they're never going to have that overwhelming shot creator takeover guy. They're never going to have a Jason Tatum. They're never going to have a Kawhi Leonard. They're never even going to have a Jamal Murray, the kind of guy who can take over a game in spots like that. Um, you know, Fred can have stretches like that, but he can't do that for an entire game. But Again, this team got here because they have the most cohesive unit in basketball. They have the most mental and physical toughness and just raw competitiveness. They have the best coach. They have the deepest pool of quality players. And those things have not disappeared just because they've had a rough series. So I think that there is a world in which this Raptors team, if they literally just shoot the three ball better, even though they admittedly definitely have flaws offensively, and this sort of goes against one of my fundamental tenets, which is, you know, having the best shot makers late in games is the most valuable thing. I think that they have good enough shot makers because Lowry and Van Vliet are there. They're the kind of guys who can step up in big moments and have those big moments. Again, not automatic like Tatum, like Kemba, like this top echelon of guys, but they can get there. When you factor in also their competitiveness, their mental toughness, their defense, their coaching, I do think that they have enough. But 
We'll see because it's now do or die time in, in game six. And if they don't shoot the ball well, they may just go down without that much of a fight, which would be really disappointing to see from a team that was so great throughout this regular season and obviously embodies such a great story. If you go down big, if you're the Raptors in game six, do you sub Siakam out at any point for three-point shooting, like late? That's an interesting question because theoretically he should be able to give you that floor spacing. This is a guy who shot 36% from three on a pretty high volume this season. Um, I think it's interesting because I don't know where they would go. Nick Nurse has kept their rotation very tight. We've barely seen Terrence Davis, tragically, of course, as the co-founders of the Terrence Davis fan club. Um, and I don't think that you can really supplement it with someone better because this team plays traditional big men for the most part. They play Ibaka, they play Gasol, and Ibaka's having a phenomenal playoffs. He's the better shooter right now, but I don't know if he's necessarily a better shooter than Pascal Siakam. So I think that they're kind of have to gonna they're kind of gonna have to go down with the ship. What I do think they can do though, and what they have to do is not rely on Siakam because Siakam presses. He forces tough shots and he feels like he needs to be the guy who takes over and he just doesn't the best thing he can do is take a back seat attack in spots and hit open shots and you know i've been all over fred van vliet too at points i'm embarrassed by what he's doing offensively because it will be there's nothing going on the offense has been stagnant for a while and i just see freddie pull up from yeah. 18 feet and take a fadeaway. it it's bad offense yeah and that is kind of a sober reminder of the fact that, as you've said, maybe we did get a little bit overly anxious about this Raptors team because Fred Van Vliet is their star late in games. Fred Van Vliet, probably, definitely actually not a top 30 player in basketball. That's kind of a precarious spot to be in. So it's, an, it's a fascinating team. I love watching them play. I think that they deserve everything that they have worked so hard for, but they may have just come up against the better talent and their limitation may end up killing them here. Let's talk about another of our favorites here on Nerd Sesh, a team that we talk about probably as much as anyone out there, I would imagine, outside of the city of Denver, the Denver Nuggets, who, after going down 3-1 to the Jazz, had that incredible comeback to get out of that series alive, then got blown out by the Clippers in Game 1, had a valiant effort in Game 2, won it, and were leading for much of Game 3 before they had a pretty tough loss, the kind of game you don't want to lose if you're going up against a superior team like they are against the Clippers. But, you know, Murray and Jokic, this team goes with them clearly, especially Jamal Murray, who is this kind of up and down star. Sometimes he's a star. Sometimes he's kind of a nobody out there. Logan, the question is, what is the Nuggets ceiling with Murray Jokic as their star tandem? Um, I think it's however far they get this season because it's clear to me that they have to go out and get somebody to add to this roster moving forward. Um, mm -hmm. We've said this before. We've said that they need that dominant takeover guy in late games, and they have that guy in Jamal Murray, but they need another one. They need someone yeah. that they can go off to because Murray clearly draw, gets too much attention um, in the offense. Mm -hmm. And to think, if the Nuggets had not traded away Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert, I think they'd be running the world right now. I mean, I think <laughs> we'd all have Denver Nugget hats and uh, there'd be flags everywhere. I mean, they'd be the greatest basketball team on planet Earth. Sure. Um, I I've been thinking about guys that they could make a run at. Uh, we've had the Bradley Beal discussions. But in this super fast NBA world that we live in, I think this offseason at the drop of a hat, we could see a guy who can drop – you know, 25 points, maybe a Zach Levine. I don't know. I'm thinking of other scoring guys who would be available quick and they always pop up in the off season. The Nuggets will have, they'll have their options uh, when it comes to it. Yeah. I think that 
the most important thing to remember here is that Jamal Murray is, I believe, just turned 23 years old. So obviously he is still continuing to improve to get better. But right now, their ceiling is, I would say, a second round exit. And they go with Jamal Murray. That's very, very clear. Jokic in the playoffs has that increased takeover ability as a scorer. He scored over 25 a game in each of his two playoff appearances last year and this year obviously has six go-ahead buckets in the last 30 seconds or less this year that leads the league because he's just such a ridiculous contested shot maker because he has no athletic ability he's had to adjust to have just this ridiculous touch where he can hit a shot no matter who's on him no matter you know how many hands are in his face but at the end of the day this league is driven by perimeter shot makers and they still need Murray to take over and there is such a clear relationship between when Jamal Murray asserts himself as a scorer and when the Nuggets win over the last two years, they are 23-6 and six when Jamal Murray scores 25 or more points. They are 28-29 and 29 when he scores 15 or less. So they have a losing record in all of these games where he scores 15 or less, and that is a very high volume. That's 30 games a season that he's being held to 15 or less, and that's not a second star. This is a guy who at moments has looked like that throughout these playoffs, and maybe he has developed his skill set to the point where he can get there. But I think that the key thing with Jamal Murray is that the game does not come easily to him. You know, so much of what he does is operating out of the mid-range. So much of what he does is off of ridiculously difficult step backs, insane contested shots. And at the end of the day, it's really hard to be a consistent 20-something point-per-game scorer when that's your offense. If you look at the guys who are able to consistently get these buckets, it's, you know, Kawhi, who is exceptional in that he can get to his spots at will and make those shots no matter who's in his face. Or, uh, you know, Harden, right? He has his formula. Get to the line, get into the lane, shoot those threes. And obviously scoring becomes harder in the playoffs, but you need to be able to get some easy points each game. And Jamal Murray, because he's not an overly imposing athlete, because he's not, you know, he's not really even insanely quick. He's living off skill and... It's and so many of the shots he takes are just really hard because of that. Cause he knows that he can make those hard shots more than almost anyone else, but they're still not great shots. My second question here, Logan, because you talked about the potential of Bradley Beal, Zach Levine. For me, it would have to be Beal if they were going to go out and get somebody. And I don't think Beal's going to be available. I think that they're going to ride it out with Jamal Murray and Jokic for, I don't know, maybe forever. Maybe they're just content being a really good team. I don't think they're going to win a title that way unless this is the question. How does Michael Porter Jr. affect their ceiling? What can he do for this team? I'm glad you asked that. I wanted to bring up Michael Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as we always do here on Nerd Sesh. Sure. Um, I think Michael Porter Jr. could be a really dominant scorer, but the issue for, uh, for Michael Porter Jr. is he has got to come along defensively. I don't yep. know who uh, Denver needs to trade for to coach him up or if it'll just come better with time, but I think Michael Porter Jr. has got the potential to be a – a 20 point per game score for this team, which is exactly what they need. He's already proven that he's a marksman, that he can knock down tough shots when they need him. And he's also got a little bit of microwave in him. He's got a little bit of that Vinnie Johnson. He can mm-hmm. turn it on and get buckets. Uh, I think that he brings them up, but I don't think he puts them over the top. What do you think? MPJ fascinates me. He frustrates me. Right now, he is one of the lowest IQ basketball players I've ever seen. He is terrifying to me at all times when he's on the court. And defensively, it's most glaring. He's also just so stiff, so upright there. But offensively, 
it, this has disturbed me. So I brought it up a few times. He just waves Jokic off sometimes and tells him, I'm not going to give you the ball. And he turns it into an MG, MPJ possession. And he's not in the position to do that as a rookie, as a guy who scored under 10 a game in the playoffs and who was consistently not playing because Mike Malone wanted Torrey Craig to get those minutes. So I think that we need a little bit of an ego check here for Michael Porter Jr. However, skill set wise, as a pure shooter, with his height at 6'10", with that stroke, he has an unaffectable shot. And, you know, he shot 42% from three in the regular season. The dude is an absolute bucket in that sense. I think we need to see if he's ever going to overcome these back problems that seem to inhibit his dynamism athletically because it's still hard for him to take people off the dribble. I was shocked when he threw down that dunk yesterday. Generally, it's pretty hard for him to elevate like that, although he is a really good offensive rebounder. But that was incredible to see that kind of athleticism from him. That just takes it to another level because he has the handle. The question for me is, is he smart enough? Is he willing to operate off the ball in big spots? Because as a pure shooter, he is just a weapon out there. And when you have the Murray Jokic pick and roll, people are so keyed in on on that at all times. If you have an exceptional player off the ball who can knock down shots like that, because the Nuggets don't have that guy right now. Gary Harris, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap. Those are average three-point shooters for the most part. And MPJ could take that up to another level. And if he can develop athletically, also create really quick instant offense for you. The, the defense is hugely problematic. The Nuggets defensive rating in minutes in which they play MPJ, Murray, and Jokic in the playoffs has been 120.4. That's terrible. But their offensive rating has been 129.6, which is utterly ridiculous. So... It's all a matter to me of how he adjusts, how he matures, how he plays off of these two, because I think that he can take them to another level. uh, But I do still agree. I don't really see him ever becoming a better scorer than Jamal Murray, at least unless his athletic abilities change. What do you think? I mean, I think when you're looking at his skill set and what he's already doing now, the shooting is not going anywhere. That's an asset that he'll have for the rest of his career. Mm -hmm. I think he'll have value around the league. Carson, do you think the Nuggets will value him for the future or is he going to be an asset that gets flipped? No, I think that they've clearly shown that they value him for the future. I mean, there was talk of Michael Porter Jr. trades throughout this season and it seemed like the Nuggets were never all that interested because they were so impressed by what he was doing basically just in practice because he hadn't even really established himself on the court yet. But I'm really interested in seeing how his personalities work with Jokic and Murray because the chemistry that those two have in the pick and roll is unmatched league-wide. And here comes in this young buck thinking, I'm the star. I was the top player in my high school class. I'm the 6'10 guy who can shoot in everyone's face and handle. And I don't know. That's an interesting dynamic to me. What if they? Uh, what if Bol Bol becomes a beast and then we see Jokic, Bol Bol, <laughs> MPJ, Jamal Murray, and like Mason Plumley? That'd be awesome. Well, first of all, I love the, the three-center lineup. That would be incredible. Um, Plumlee deserves everything in the world. I hope that he wins 10 NBA titles in his career. I mean, listen, Bull Bull was another conversation. He had his moments. He's so weird that I'm not comfortable speaking to his basketball abilities right now, but he can shoot and he can protect the rim. So there's some intrigue there. Let's move on. I think that was enough Nuggets talk for really everyone. Um, And I think that we've supplied plenty of that here on Nerd Sesh over our time doing these podcasts. Let's go back to the team that has been probably most impressive relative to expectations, the Miami Heat, who are now in action in game five against the Milwaukee Bucks, up 3-1 in this series. 
They've obviously turned a lot of heads with this performance. Um, ours included, I would say. How far can they go? Um, I think they can go to the finals. I mean, they mopped the Bucks, and I thought that the Bucks were going to steamroll them. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've just seen some really weird performances from – the Heat are such a committee team, and it doesn't make sense that mm-hmm. they're winning. Uh, we've gotten exceptional performances out of Goran Dragic, who a lot of people – still sleep on Drogic is a absolute beast. Uh, But the real key for this heat team is, and has always been how they beat the bucks is his three point shooting. Mm -hmm. Um, Crowder, Olenek, Hero, Butler, Robinson are all over 39% shooting in this series. And I think the Crowder, Iguodala and uh, the Crowder and Iguodala acquisitions at the deadline have come such a far piece for them along with Bam Adebayo, because now they have clampers. Um, I think that he can go to the finals because we're either going to get Raptor Celtics and, if you can beat the Bucks, you can beat anyone. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because I think that they are perfectly equipped matchup-wise for the Bucks. I also don't think the Bucks are as good of a playoff team to begin with as the Celtics or the Raptors. The Heat do have real toughness, real grit. They are brilliantly coached, and they have guys who step up to the biggest moment, and that goes all the way down to Tyler Hero, the most confident rookie I've ever seen who will take big shots like it's nothing and will drain them. I do think, as you mentioned, Drogic really taking this step up is huge, averaging almost 22 a game. That was one of the biggest flaws of this Heat team throughout the season is, you know, Kendrick Nunn was their second leading scorer, or Bam Adebayo, these guys below 16 a game. They didn't have that real assertive secondary creator. Drogic doesn't just get his own. He can do it for other people. He can do it on all three levels. And that's really valuable to have alongside Jimmy, who's not going to be a reliable 30 a game guy every game. He's just not. He doesn't have the skill set. The guy doesn't really shoot threes for whatever reason. So uh, that has been huge for them. But I still feel like they're a little bit outmatched by the Celtics and the Raptors. And those teams are both definitely better defensively. I do think that the Heat deserve tremendous credit for the Crowder and Iguodala acquisitions, which have just made life so much harder on Giannis, having two strong physical defenders up top and then having Bam down there for help. That is something they could not have done earlier in this season. Um, and it's been tremendously effective. But the value of those guys diminishes to me when you're not dealing with Giannis because Tatum can go one-on-one against anyone. Uh, the Raptors, hopefully, if they get out of this series, will not be relying on Siakam in that same way. And then I just think the Celtics are overwhelming offensively too. I, I think that there is a formula for the Heat to beat the Raptors if the Raptors get there just by outshooting them. Um, and I don't think it's out of, out of this world that, Siakam has a miserable series offensively and Van Vliet isn't enough to carry them. It's really hard for me to imagine them beating the Celtics though, because the Celtics have the two best shot makers in this series. They have the better team defense. They have as many quality players on this team. They have as good, if not a better coach. And that's just a formula that's tough to crack. And unlike the Bucks, where the Bucks had this glaring weakness, which is Obviously, you know, a team built around Giannis where you don't have that elite shot maker alongside him can be exposed. Um, The Celtics don't have anything like that. They are a genuine elite team. And I think that that is what, you know, they've really highlighted through these playoff performances. How do you think the, how, what to you is the formula for the heat to beat a team like the Celtics, who I would say kind of outmatched them on both ends? I'd say slow them down uh, the same way. Now, like you said, defensively, you can't make the same adjustments that they did on Giannis. You Mm -hmm. pack the wall, make sure that Giannis can't get to the paint. Um, 
the Celtics play such a fast-paced brand of basketball. I mean, if you had to ask me, I'd say that the Celtics would win as well. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. My expectations for the Heat are so random because yeah, I didn't expect them to get this far. I thought they've been outmatched all playoffs long. I wonder. The only thing that I keep coming back to is, I mean, they're close to their home in Orlando, and I just wonder if proximity. I know this sounds weird, but. They're not as far from their homes. They all live in Florida anyway because of where they're playing. Mm -hmm. Do they get any sort of like home field advantage, do you think? Not like fan-wise, but... Obviously. You know what I mean? I do. I think that all of that has sort of been negated now that teams have just been there for so long. I think they're just a team that had a brilliant game plan, plays incredibly hard, had the perfect formula, and at the end of the day, they have sharpshooters all over the court. You know, hero... Robinson, these are the kind of guys who can swing games just by shooting the lights out. And that's really valuable. And then when you have a couple of legitimate stars in Jimmy and Bam, you have Goran Dragic playing like a star right now. That's just a really good basketball team. And I think that they deserve credit for that. I just think the Celtics high end is on another level. But I can understand not giving, you know, not giving up on the heat because clearly um, for those of us who did not expect them to beat the Bucks, they have already proven us wrong. Let's talk about the Bucs now because they're showing some fight here in game five without Giannis. They showed tremendous fight in game four without Giannis, which they managed to win, which I really wasn't all that shocked by just because I thought kind of, you know, it's a little bit like the wounded animal thing where they're going to fight so much harder uh, when they don't have their best guy and when they're down in that precarious 3-0 spot. But for the Bucs, this is bigger than just these playoffs because now they underperformed last year. They're underperforming this year. Giannis is going to have one year left on that deal, and he's probably not going to sign an extension this offseason. So what, if anything, can the Bucs do to save their chances with Giannis? And if there's nothing they can do, what's next for him? They have got to win this series against the Heat. If they lose, Giannis is gone, in my opinion. And if you're wondering about a destination, I think it's pretty clear. Carson, congratulations. Your Golden State Warriors just won the rights to Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean... It's genius. They tank all season long. They get the second pick. And when none of these other big market teams, like why would the Bucs, I want you to think about this. Why would the Bucs trade Giannis to the Knicks? That brings nothing back to them because New York doesn't have any assets. Mm -hmm. But the Warriors do. They're a huge market. They've got a second pick to deal. They've got Andrew Wiggins. They've got other people, now, like Jordan Poole. It's not as deep as you think, but. <laughs> we got but Jordan Poole. Got they can have Jordan Poole. Pick. Yeah, they could have Jordan Poole. You guys could give him away. Mm -hmm. I think the Bucs would eat that up because I don't think there's there's going to be offers for them, but Golden State makes the most sense. So you think that the Bucs would be willing to trade Giannis this offseason? I think Giannis may push the bill. Mm, yeah, and I think that that's really obviously worst-case scenario for the Bucs is that Giannis demands a trade because I think that unless their hand is forced – they are going to do whatever they can to salvage this opportunity with him. So I'm going to take sort of the other angle as far as what can they do to save their chances? Because I don't think it is necessarily about this series. Uh, I don't even know if Giannis is going to come back this series. He's not playing in game five, even though the Bucs are playing well. I think what it all comes down to is how flexible are they? How much are they willing to deviate from the Budenholzer system, from the roster that they have assembled, which makes a heck of a lot of sense for the regular season, not so much for the playoffs. They have to go all in right now. And I think that there's a couple of routes that they can take to get there. One of them is, 
I think you got to trade Middleton. Um, in particular, a guy that I would have my eye on is Chris Paul. I think if you throw Middleton in a first, maybe two for Chris Paul, then it makes sense from the Thunder's perspective. They cut costs. They get a versatile wing who helps them compete now, an all-star level guy. They can also help move SGA into that primary point guard role. They can continue to compete, which they clearly want to do. They already have this wealth of picks. So I don't think that they necessarily want to tank. They're going to have, you know, their pick of the litter for the next decade as far as the draft goes. So you want to win now. You want to help your young guy, SGA, continue to ascend into his star role. This is a great way to do that. And then for the Bucs, you know, obviously it's been repeated again and again. CP3 was the best clutch score in basketball this year. Part of that is just the volume. The Thunder were in a bunch of close games. But of course it makes sense. The dude is a mid-range savant. He is a, a genius as far as controlling the pace and how a game is played. And those are the things that this Bucks team needs. You know, Chris Middleton has the skill set. He's a great contested shot maker. He's a great three-point shooter, but he doesn't have the mentality. And unlike CP3, he's not the kind of guy who can operate for the entire game with the ball in his hands. And listen, CP3 would be their best player in some playoff games, and they would need that in order to win. Middleton couldn't do that this year, and that was their fatal flaw at the end of the day. I think Beal would be another guy to look at, but they don't really have the assets. And again, I think that Washington, interestingly, wants to try out the Beal wall experiment. We'll see how that goes. Um, another thing that I would definitely consider, maybe moving Eric Bledsoe. Even if you're not getting as good of a regular season player, I think even if you get a guy like Evan Fournier, who has a player option this offseason, if he opts in and maybe the Magic aren't so sure that he's going to come back after that, maybe they, they swing a Bledsoe-Fournier deal because – you know, you definitely have a malleable contract with Eric Bledsoe. It's three years, 56 million left. You can trade him for a non-star. And certainly I don't think anyone is going to consider Eric Bledsoe a star right now because of his playoff deficiencies. He's scoring 12 a game on 42% from the field, 25% from three in these playoffs. And Fournier is an undervalued asset. Gave the, gave the Magic 18 and a half a game on 47% from the field, 40% from three this year. He's a dynamic offensive weapon who just as a pure shooter can really affect games. And they need those bucket getters. They need those guys who do not diminish in value in the playoffs. So I think it's big change time for Milwaukee. I think that they need to go all in. And I do believe that if they were willing to do so, they could get Giannis to at least stay for that extra year and see if they can really contend for a title. And I think CP3... And if they get Fournier, that can really make a difference. I also think they might have to get rid of Bud because even though he was a deserving coach of the year winner last year, uh, he's just so rigid. And I don't think he's a great playoff coach. So I don't know, Logan. I gave a bunch of ideas out there. What do you think about him? So let me throw one back at you. Do you think at all that they should overhaul the roster whatsoever? Do you stick with the shooters around Giannis? Do you make one big trade or do you make a big trade and then try to reform at the bottom as well? I think the Fournier acquisition would be big. Um, the Bledsoe-Fournier deal, because then I think that the Bucks definitely have the right idea putting primarily shooters around Giannis, but I think that they want slightly better players. You know, they have to rely a lot on Corver and Wes Matthews and DiVincenzo. And at the end of the day, those guys are okay role players. They're not guys you want playing in big spots in the playoffs for the most part. Fournier, not that he has any tremendous amount of playoff experience, but he's a bucket. And that, to me, increases the value and the potential of this team. And then I think that the biggest thing is having that closer like CP. So I don't think that it's that 
you know, the Bucks need to dramatically change how they play basketball uh, necessarily in the regular season. I think that the drop defense is something that still works. I think that the way that they've been able to turn Brooke Lopez into an elite defender has been remarkable. A guy who for much of his career would have been considered average or a liability. And they have to keep him because he has been phenomenal in these playoffs. And he is definitely their third best player, certainly better than Bledsoe. Um, as long as they keep him, they rework a couple of the, st- of the quote-unquote stars around Giannis because I just don't think that Bledsoe and Middleton are the guys if they're trying to win a title. I think that they can do it without having to change everything in this roster. But you're right. It may be a couple of smaller moves. It may be picking up a couple of shooters on the market this year. I don't have that many free agents in mind that I can think of, but I think that that's part of it as well. And I think if they could swing a Chris Paul trade, that would, that would be awesome. I would love watching yeah. Milwaukee basketball. Also, mm-hmm. that's a good call on Coach Bud too. Give him the boot. Yeah, I just, you know, I think that he has shown that he is not uh, flexible enough. And I do think that, that part of that is this roster. And you made a good point. When you have all shooters and not really that much else around Giannis, it's tough. You can't ask Dante DiVincenzo to step up and take over a game. So I do think that there needs to be some roster retooling there as well um, and just getting better spot-up shooters. But, yeah, I think that this team, it's not necessarily that Giannis can't be the best player on a title team. You just have to have a really exceptional second guy who can get you those buckets at the end of games. And the Bucs wouldn't become my title favorite with a CP3 trade, but – it would certainly be an improved situation from, from this year. And I don't know if they do that taking on, you know, 40 million a year for a guy who's going to be, I think he'll turn 36 next season. But I think at the end of the day, you can't play scared when you have a talent like Giannis in your hands and, um, and you got to go try to make something happen. So that was a long bucks discussion. It's all theoretical, but I do think that it's important because we'll see what they're willing to do this season to keep their all world asset. Uh, and that will fall on young John Horst, the GM over there. Okay, Logan, last question. And this is a broader one. Is there a clear favorite in your eyes for the title right now? Uh, no, not really. I mean, if if I had to bet, I'd probably take the Lakers after seeing the Raptors' uh, deficiencies. But uh, AD and LeBron are a duo that you can count on to produce on a nightly basis if you can't count on the Lakers' bench, which you can't. Um, they're as solid as anybody in the rest of the bubble. And I would really like to see Lakers Celtics because I think it's only appropriate that um, across the sands of time, we get Lakers Celtics forever uh, when it's in the sixties, when it's in the eighties, when it's in the two thousands. And when we reduce basketball down to a bubble, we have to get Lakers Celtics. Uh, I think that would be cool, but uh, no, they're not really a clear favorite out of the West of these, but if you put me on the spot, I'd take the Lakers. Yeah, I really don't think there's a clear favorite. And for me, throughout much of the regular season, all of the regular season, it was the Clippers-Lakers battle. Which of those two teams would I take? I started Clippers. I came over to Team Lakers um, because of the unstoppable duo of LeBron and AD. Every team has looked so flawed, though. And maybe the team that has shown the least flaws is the Boston Celtics. And maybe we need to wake up and understand that maybe they're just as good as everyone else out there. It's weird when their best player, Jason Tatum, didn't look like a lock for the All-Star game and then completely flipped a switch and averaged 30 a game in February and now is this superstar level guy because I didn't expect that this season from a player in his third season. Um, But, you know, there have been times where the Lakers have struggled to score. Obviously, the Raptors have struggled to score 
for basically a whole series now. The Clippers, as well-equipped as you would think they are defensively on the wings, they've struggled to get stops at times. Playoff P has made far too many appearances, I think, for anyone to really say that they're comfortable picking the Clippers as a clear favorite. So it's fascinating. We are now in an era of parody, assuming that nothing crazy happens, assuming Giannis doesn't go to the Warriors this offseason, because we have these teams with these star tandems. We have some really great all-around teams like the Celtics and the Raptors, and none of them are just on a different tier right now. I'm still going to go Lakers to win the title. That's been my feeling for a long time, but I couldn't say that they're the clear favorite because there's been times where they've just looked kind of bad. How credible is the basketball that we're seeing? How can we compare it to other seasons without the fans? Because I think they do play a, I mean, home field advantage and home courts, they play such a big role. Are you adding that in, in consideration with watching this basketball? No, I think that this is to me, it counts the same. It feels pretty much the same as everything else. You take away home court advantage, but at the end of the day, both teams get home court advantage half the time. So when no one ever gets it, it's different, but in some ways it's the same thing. Now, what do you think about the refing in the bubble? I don't like the refing. I don't, uh, I, I found myself so many times tweeting <laughs> something where I'm just like, that was a terrible call. And then I'm like, you know, this really only applies to people who are watching this game at this exact moment. And it's not that interesting. And it's kind of just angsty, but like, it's been terrible. What's been your favorite uh, worst call? I don't know. I couldn't pick one. <laughs> there have been so many. Just yesterday, I was going to tweet something about how the Nuggets should have challenged an offensive foul call on Jokic that wasn't and one, and then they didn't. There was an out of bounds that they got wrong at first. They fixed it. It's every game. There are things that make me upset. And I've never thought of myself as a real angry with officials guy, but I may be becoming one uh, in my old age. So that's going to do it for us here today. We are getting into to real nut crunch time here in the playoffs, and it is a lot of fun. So I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.